with that, let's pray and, and uh, invite God to come and to speak to us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, God, for the opportunity to gather together with, God, with your church, with your people to uh, encourage each other, to challenge each other. God, to, to just be a smiling face uh, to one another in a world that is so uh, harsh and challenging to us so many times. So, God, we pray that, God, as we gather together, as we are uh, encouraged and challenged, God, as we open up your word together this morning and see this incredible story from Luke chapter 9, as we see Jesus is changed and the glory of uh, who Jesus was start to shine through, God, we pray that you would show us your glory this morning too. God, that you would show us just how incredible you are. What a, a an amazing, mighty God that we serve and that we worship this morning. So God, as we look, as we pause and slow down and look at this story this morning, God, we pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we come to you now. Amen. Well, guys, as we jump in, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to invite you guys to find your way to Luke chapter 9 this morning. And as you guys are finding your way there, I want to give you guys just a little bit of uh, story that leads into our story this morning. So what we're going to be looking at in today's passage, it kind of invites us to look at the glory and the majesty of God, to reflect on the glory and the majesty of God. So before we jump too far into our passage in Luke this week, I thought it would be good for us to to slow down, to take a quick glance at some other places in the Old Testament where we see the glory of God revealed. We see God uh, show just a, a little bit of himself to his people. So I, I want to take just a quick tour through a few different places that we see that glory of God show up in the Old Testament. The first place that comes to mind for me as I think about the glory of God being revealed to his people is in the wilderness. You guys remember Moses and and the people of Israel escaped from Egypt, and as they were wandering through the wilderness, God was leading his people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 13 tells us that the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way, a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. God tangibly showed and revealed himself to the people of Israel in providing for them and taking care of them and in sending this pillar of cloud that would cast shadow for them as they were journeying through the hot wilderness during the day and and the pillar of fire at night that would keep them warm as they were journeying through the cold wilderness at night. The next place that we see God reveal a, a little taste of himself is when those same Israelites are wandering through the wilderness, they get to Mount Sinai. You guys remember in uh, Exodus chapter 33 and 34, we have this story of how Moses is interacting with God, and Moses would regularly go into the tent of meeting to seek God. He would meet with God, and he would uh, interact with God, and the, the cloud that they had been following would come down, would rest on the tent of meeting, and would show that God's presence was there meeting with Moses. One occasion, Moses says, God, show me your glory in Exodus 33. And so in the rest of that chapter and the next one, we see this story recounted where Moses went up the mountain and and had this opportunity to interact with God. He wanted God to show him his glory. And so uh, Moses couldn't take all of God's glory. So God hid him in a rock 
and, and covered over it. But then as God passed by, Moses just had an opportunity to see kind of the, the, the tail end of God's glory as it was passing by. It was so incredible, it made Moses' face shine like the sun, it says. The next place we see God's glory revealed in the Old Testament is in the tabernacle. The glory of God shows up in the tabernacle in Exodus 40. The glories of the tabernacle, they, they kind of conclude this story of the Exodus. And it talks about how in the very heart of the camp, as they would gather together, they would have all the other tents around, and they had this tabernacle, this tent of meeting where they would meet with God. And so in this place, when God was there, when the presence of God was resting on that place, the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire would be over top of that tent to show that God was there. And in verses 34 and 35 of Exodus 40, it says that, that Moses went in, that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Moses was not even able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We fast forward a little bit through uh, out of the story of the Exodus into uh, Second Chronicles. We see the time where Solomon had finally finished building his great temple that they were no longer worshiping God in that tent that we saw on the last picture, but now we, we have a temple that they are going to go and worship in. As they're setting that temple aside and, and, and dedicating it to the Lord, Second Chronicles chapter 7 tells us that when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not even enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. We see this incredible picture, all these different pictures of how the glory of God had been revealed to different people in the Old Testament. And, and then we have God's people wander off the path that they're supposed to be on and in their disobedience God gives a vision to I believe it was Ezekiel that the glory of God would no longer be shown so there's this period of silence for about six six hundred years that leading into our New Testament leading into the birth of Jesus there's been this quiet period but now you remember the glory of God that was shown at Jesus' birth. You guys may remember that. It's, it's the Christmas story, right? At Luke chapter 2, it talks about how that glory that had been missing for hundreds of years has now returned, and shepherds out in a field have this incredible picture of the glory of God being revealed to them. Luke 2, verses 8 and 9 says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. We have this flash of glory at the advent, but then after that, now we've spent about 30, 31, 32 years between that moment and now where we pick up our story in Luke 9, and, and Jesus' glory has kind of been subdued a little bit. It's been veiled. So as Jesus' ministry is progressing, though, we're starting to get more and more of a, a clear picture of who God was, of, of who Jesus was in this moment, right? The, the layers of the onion are being peeled back. As his ministry progressed, there's this intensifying, like, revelation. They get a clearer picture day after day, week after week, as the disciples are following Jesus around, get a clearer picture of who he was, right? 
Luke chapter 8 and 9 successively shows all these little stories that we've been looking at over the last month or two of, of Jesus being the Lord of nature as he calmed a storm, of Jesus being the, the Lord of the supernatural as he cast out that legion of demons from a man and, and set him free from the captivity of those demons. Shows Jesus as the Lord of life as he has healed the sick and even raised the dead, right? A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus was the Lord of creation, that as a crowd of thousands of people were there listening to him teach, and they started getting hungry, Jesus takes what may have just been one little boy's lunchable, just one little meal that this little boy had brought, five little loaves of bread and two small fish, and turns it into enough food that tons, literally tons of food that are distributed to these thousands of people that are given away. And then last week, we saw Peter finally put words to what these men had been experiencing, what they had been seeing when, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one that we've been waiting for. You are the Son of God. The culmination of this entire progression comes in this week's passage, though, right? So let's turn and, and look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 28 down through 36. I'd invite you guys to read along with me as we look at our passage from this week. Verse 28, it says, Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had become overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. We see this really, really just incredible story of, of Jesus and, and just the three disciples Peter, James, and John go up the mountain, and, and as they go up the mountain to pray, Jesus' glory is shown. We see that in the, the first chunk of this passage, that, that Jesus' glory is revealed a little bit, right? About a week after Peter's confession of, of Jesus saying that you are the Christ, you are the chosen one of God, Jesus peels back another layer of the onion to, to reveal a little bit more of who he truly is. When Mark is telling the story in Mark's gospel, it says that, that Jesus was transfigured. That word that literally means changed, metamorphosed. It means that, that just like a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly, the essence of Jesus didn't change. He had always been the glorious Son of God, but, but he had been living in this place where it was, it was hidden. It was concealed from the people that may walk past him or, or talk with him. But for a brief moment... For this, for this incredible brief moment that Peter, James, and John got to experience, the veil of his humanity had, was lifted. That God that had existed, Jesus has existed forever before this moment, but from eternity past, he had been God and, and worshipped in his glory in heaven. And for this small season of time, 
He came and chose to put on flesh. He chose to, to put on humanity and become like us. He looked just like us. But in that moment, he peels back just a, a little bit of the humanity to show those disciples just a, just a glimpse of who he really was. Peter, James, and John went up the mountain to pray with Jesus, and these guys missed it. Like, they, they fell asleep. That's not an unfamiliar story to us. We're going to see it again as we get closer to the end of Luke's gospel. But these sleeping disciples wake up, and they see this incredible thing happening, right? They see this incredible interaction where, where they wake up, and they, they rub the sleepies out of their eyes, and they see three, like, spiritual rock stars standing there in front of them having a conversation. Because they, they know Jesus, they've seen Jesus, they've been following Jesus, but, but they look and they see Moses and Elijah there with them. Jesus and Moses and Elijah there having a conversation. So what was special about Elijah and Moses? Why were they significant? Why not someone else? Why did God choose to send these two? Well, Moses was the great lawgiver, right? He was the one that, that you guys remember went up on Mount Sinai that God gave the Ten Commandments to and told the people of Israel, these are my laws. This is what I expect from my people. This is how my people should live. And so Moses was the one that brought the law to God's people. And Elijah was the great prophet. There were several prophets, several wonderful men who had, had come and had spoken on God's behalf throughout the time leading up to this point of, of the people of Israel hearing from God. God would anoint prophets to come and to speak on his behalf. Elijah was one of the most famous, one of the, the most significant, and symbolized the prophets. So we have Moses symbolizing the law, Elijah there symbolizing the prophets. And together they were a powerful summary of, of everything that had led the people of Israel, the, the disciples, to this point in history. Together they were a powerful summary of the entire Old Testament and everything that God had done. So what were Jesus and these two men talking about? What did it say? It, it says in verse 31, right? It says that they were talking about his departure, Jesus' departure, which, we, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What they're talking about is the same thing that we talk about just about every time we get together, right? It's hard for us to look at any passage of Scripture without seeing something that points us back to the reason that we gather every week, the reason that we come together and, and talk every week, because everything points back to the gospel, right? We wouldn't be here without the gospel, without the good news that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay a penalty that he didn't deserve so that a sinner like me that does deserve that penalty can be forgiven. That a sinner like you that does deserve that penalty can be forgiven. That is what they were talking about. They were talking about that fulfillment that was about to come at Jerusalem. Jesus knew at this point in the story, he's been about a year and a half in Galilee ministering and, and teaching people about what the kingdom of God was like. Now, in this point in the story, he, he starts to turn his eyes towards Jerusalem. From this point forward in the gospel, we see this journey towards the cross as Jesus takes this path towards his impending death and resurrection and return to heaven. Moses and Elijah, the chief representatives of, of everything that had led the people of Israel to this point, representing the law and the prophets, are having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, you guys remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, said that he did not come. He, verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Jesus is there meeting with Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah are talking, are, are having a conversation with the embodiment of everything that their lives had represented. All of the law had pointed to Jesus. All of the prophecies had pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that had led them up to this point. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. The, the prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. The sacrificial system of, of all of the, the goats and lambs and bulls and doves, all of the sacrifices that had been given to, to pay the punishment for their sin, the, the sacrifices that had been made in the past, all of them pointed to Jesus. Just a fun little bonus note for you guys as we have talked the last couple of weeks as people have been a- asking this question, who is Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Herod asked it, the, the religious leaders asked it, the disciples tried to answer it last week. You remember some of the speculations about who people said Jesus might be? Well, maybe he's Moses. Maybe he's Elijah or one of the other prophets of old. Well, you know what? He wasn't Moses because Moses is there talking with him. He wasn't Elijah because Elijah's there talking with him. He is entirely different. So let's look at the second little part of our passage now, verses 33 through 36, that show where Jesus' authority is given. Let's read those verses again so they're fresh in our minds. Verse 33, it says, As they were leaving him, Moses and Elijah, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Peter gets a bad reputation. He gets a bad rap sometimes for for being the one to jump up and to speak. He was always the one that was bold enough to speak. You guys remember last week when when Jesus asked all of the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who was the one that spoke up? It was Peter, right? He was the one that that spoke up, raised his hand, said, I know Jesus. He was probably sitting in the front row of the class, right? There's always that one kid in the class that, that sits in the front row and knows all the answers. Well, Peter speaks up again. But this time we have a, oh, Peter. Like, he misses it here. Did you guys notice it? Clearly, based on what's written here in our passage, Peter's suggestion of, let's, let's build three tabernacles was out of order, right? What was it exactly, though, that, that was out of order? What was the problem with what Peter said? Verse 33, we see Peter say to Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Well, it was good for them to be there. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. So what was it that he said that that got him in trouble? Well, Peter's mistake, Peter's error was in equating Jesus and Moses and Elijah, putting them all on the same level. These were not three equals that were standing up there on top of the mountain. So when Peter says, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll build you guys three houses so we can just camp and stay up here forever. We'll build Moses a house, we'll build Elijah a house, and and we'll build you a house. No, Peter. Oh, Peter. (laughs) These men were not the same as Jesus. The voice from heaven that comes in just a moment explains Peter's mistake, right? In contrast to Moses and Elijah, who who were God's servants, who had played important roles on God's behalf in the past. Now, Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God's chosen one. Jesus is God, right? 
He's unique. He's, he's entirely different. If we have a, a hall of fame where Moses gets to be there and Elijah gets to be there, like Jesus gets a whole separate hall of fame, a whole separate wing of the museum. Jesus is entirely different from these other men who have come and have played a role. He is in a class by himself. And now at this point in the story, we see the clouds start to form. The same cloud that we looked at those verses at the beginning of our time together this morning, right? The cloud that had led the Israelites through the wilderness, the cloud that had met with Moses on top of Mount Sinai, the the cloud that had filled the temple, that cloud shows up and, and starts to form around Peter and James and John. The Shekinah glory starts to show up. It's been 600 years since God's people had seen the glory of God, the Shekinah glory in this cloud that had come. And that cloud that had been in the wilderness, that cloud that had been on top of Mount Sinai, that that cloud that had filled the temple is now starting to form around these men. It says that they were afraid. It says that that the glory of God had been revealed in the past, that, that the glory of God is being revealed here in this moment. And and you guys notice where that glory comes from, right? You guys saw where it came from. As we, as we read our passage, we see it says in verse, where's it at? <clears throat> verse 29, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white and gleaming. The glory is not coming from an outside source. The glory is coming from Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God that's there, that's being revealed, that's being reflected to these men on top of the mountain. On the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that his face shone like the sun, that his clothes, that his body were, were like lightning. Everything that was symbolized in the pillar of cloud, in the pillar of fire, all of that is fulfilled in Jesus in this moment. Jesus was the pillar. Jesus was the cloud. Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God. This isn't like when when Moses went up and and he saw the back of God's glory and he came down and it it says that his face was shining like the sun, that his face was reflecting the glory of God because it tells us that his face was, was reflecting what he had received from the outside, that he had seen God's glory and it so changed him that, that they could see it kind of oozing back out of him. Jesus isn't being a, a reflector of God's glory. It says that his face changed and then that his, that his clothes changed. It shows us that, that from the inside out that Jesus is the one. Jesus is where the glory is coming from here, right? Jesus is the glory of God. And then the voice speaks. Then out of this cloud that has come, the voice of God comes. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I don't know why, but, but every time I read those verses, I imagine God's got a really big, deep voice. This is my son. This is the voice of God. We can only just imagine what that was like. But how incredible what must that have been for these guys? They're there, they see, they see Jesus look different, they see the glory of God being revealed, and all of a sudden this cloud shows up around them, and they hear God. This question that they had been asking themselves, that they had been asking it and, and surely talking about when they had quiet moments, that, who is this man? 
Nature obeys him. Demons obey him. Sickness obeys him. There's something different about him. And and Peter had given his response last week, but now all of that, Peter's confession is confirmed, right? It's confirmed by God himself. God comes and speaks and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Jesus is indeed different. This isn't Moses or Elijah. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher like we talked about last week, right? He's not just a good teacher. He's not just another prophet. He is different. The command from God that comes after Jesus Jesus is identified as the chosen one of God, as God's son. The command from God's pretty emphatic, right? doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room for us he says this is my son listen to him Jesus is a far greater authority than Moses Jesus is a far greater authority than Elijah Jesus is God's spokesperson do you want to know what God has to say about a matter well what did Jesus say that's what it boils down to listen to the teaching of Jesus the writer of Hebrews uh, in the very first few words of his book tells us basically the same thing summarizes this perfectly in the opening verses hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 2 and 3 says god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world he is the radiance of his glory the exact representation of his nature he upholds all things by the word of his power When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the embodiment of God. Jesus, if if you want to know what God looks like, Jesus. If you want to know what what God has to say, Jesus. I need to hear from you guys for just a second. It's, it's, It's response time, all right? So who remembers the game show from 10, maybe 20 years ago with Regis Philbin? Who wants to be a millionaire? You guys remember that one, right? You guys remember that? I would, I would watch along from time to time, and I would make it to like 300 bucks before I got one wrong and failed and lost. But you guys remember the, the questions. They would, they would ask the question, and you pick A, B, C, or D. They would answer, it's, it's B, it's B. What was Regis's follow-up? Is that your final answer? Are you sure... Are you absolutely sure that's what you want to say? There's no, 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 I meant, I, I meant, I meant D. Was that your final answer? Had to make sure. You know what? Peter answered the question last week of who is Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the Christ. God, this week, gives the final answer. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. There are many great Bible figures that walk the pages of the Old Testament. There are incredible men and women who have been wonderful examples to us of what it looks like to to follow God, to to live a life that makes a difference for God. None of them more illustrious, more famous, more influential than Moses or Elijah. But in the presence of Jesus, Moses and Elijah, these incredible men, are just witnesses. They're just along for the ride, just like Peter and James and John were. In the Hall of Fame, there is no one else in Jesus' hall. This passage has made a very clear statement, right? 
Every week we, we come and we look at, when we open up God's Word, we, we talk about this. There's two questions that we have to answer anytime we open up God's Word. The first one is, what is it saying? What is it trying to communicate? And then after we answer that one, then we get to answer the question, well, yeah, but what does it mean to me? Right? We have to answer first, what does it mean? And then we answer, what does it mean to me? So, so what is this saying? This one's pretty straightforward. This one's pretty loud and clear for us as we look at the message that we should grasp. Message is, God has spoken. Jesus is God. We see it in the, the glory that is reflected from him. We see it in the cloud that comes and speaks. God says, this is my son. Jesus is God. Then the voice also said, listen to what he has to say. Interesting, though. As we read that, as we study this passage, I, I, I was looking at this, and I started to see a little bit of myself in Peter. It's easy for us sometimes today to look at things that Peter said and go, oh, Peter, Peter. But this week, I saw a little bit of myself in Peter. I, I think if we think about it, several of us may see a little bit of ourselves in Peter, right? Because we live in this information age. We live in this time in history where all kinds of information is at our fingertips. You want to know uh, what date something happened? You just look it up on your phone. If I'm at home, I don't even have to, to look something up on my phone to find the information. I just have to say, Alexa, who won the Lakers game yesterday? And it tells me the sto- score and tells me how many points LeBron had. Like all the information is just flying around out there in the world waiting for us. We have so much information at our fingertips. But in this information age where we, we long for, for more input, for more feedback, for more, we long for spiritual examples and heroes too, right? We long for influences. We, we look around and all of a sudden, maybe like Peter, we start to have a tendency to put God's influence, God's, God's words on the shelf. But we also put, well, what, is, what does my spouse have to say about the matter? If we're trying to figure out what should I do in this situation, well, God's input is important. I'm going to see what the Bible has to say, but I'm also going to see what my friends think about it. I'm also going to throw it out there on social media and see if anybody else has some other suggestions of how I should handle it. I also should, should probably watch the news because they're going to tell me what I'm supposed to think about a, a certain situation or a certain problem that I'm facing. We tend to build many booths in our life, right? Just like Peter, he said, well, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Let's build you a booth, but we're also going to build one for Moses. We're also going to build one for Elijah. He made the mistake of putting other people on the same level as God. I think we might do that sometimes, too. We put other people on the same level with God's words in our life. We put other people's words on the same playing field. Let me tell you guys something. We don't need, as Christians, as, as people who, who have Jesus' words, this is my son, listen to him, we don't need a social media influencer to tell us what we should think. We don't need a celebrity pastor to tell us what his opinion is on a matter. I tell you guys right now, I'm, if I ever become someone who cares more about what I think than about what the Bible says, like, get me out of here. I have failed my responsibility of standing up in front of you guys because when I get up here, it's not about what I think. It's about what God says. It's about what the word of God says. Jesus is God's son. Listen to him. You don't need a celebrity pastor to tell you their opinion. You don't need an influencer to tell you their opinion. I learned a new term this week, and you don't need them either. 
saw something that, that was talking about a cultural thought leader. I don't even know what that means. But we don't need them either, right? We don't need someone that's, that's going to influence what other people have to, to think or, or say. Like, we don't need somebody that's going to influence our thoughts on a matter other than Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him. God has spoken clearly. Peter got excited. Peter got, ha- had this incredible moment. He wakes up, and maybe it's just because he was sleepy and he didn't realize what he was saying, but, but he wakes up and he sees Moses and he sees Elijah and he sees Jesus. He starts to elevate other people up to the same level as Jesus, and, and God, the voice says, no, 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 no. This one, Jesus is my son. But we realize in life, right, we realize that there are times where we make mistakes. There's times where we put our foot in our mouth. One of the things that makes a difference between a wise person and a foolish person is how do you learn from your mistakes? Do we learn? Do we grow from the mistakes that we've made? Well, good news, years after this moment where Peter went up the mountain and Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, Peter didn't just stay in that little point in history forever. Peter got more mature. Peter grew up. And by the time he wrote 2 Peter chapter 1, he had learned a little bit from his mistakes. I want to read for you guys from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 down through 21. Peter tells a little bit of this story about what had happened on the top of the mountain. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made, by, made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So, we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. The world has all these different influences, all these different voices, all these different people that we have an opportunity to look to, to listen to, to learn from. What our passage today is saying is none of them, none of them are on Jesus' level. It's not a bad thing to, to hear what other people have to say about it, but they better fall like steps down the row from where Jesus' words are in our life. The world does not need a, a clash of competing religious figures, uh, competing religious voices and examples. It needs a Savior, and we have one. We have the Son of God that came, that that revealed himself to us. And the words of Scripture, as Peter just said, no prophecy of Scripture, no words from Scripture are just written because one of the writers felt like it. They are written because God and his Holy Spirit inspired them, that, that, that the Holy Spirit of God wrote the words down. This isn't just some guys that got together and went, well, hey, you write about this and I'll write about that and we'll put it all together. No, God spoke through his word. We have the words of God in our hands, sitting there in your lap this morning. Just like the cloud said, listen to them.
need to stop uh, trying to put other voices in the line. We need to stop trying to, to put other people in Jesus' place and just accept that God has spoken. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and he's given it to us in his word, and he's given it to us in his son. Jesus, this is my son. Listen to him. In just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to read some other verses for you guys, and we're going to take communion. We're going to take communion where we remember the broken body of Jesus that died on that cross to make a way for us to be forgiven. We're going to remember that in that little cup of juice, we're going to remember the blood of Jesus that was spilled out, was poured out so that I could be forgiven, so that you could be forgiven. As we remember that incredible sacrifice, let's let's pause and remember in the same way this story that we looked at this morning. Jesus is the one. We don't come here this morning. We don't hope that God loves us or, or, or accepts us or receives us because we were somehow like really good people this week. It's not in how we acted this week. It's not in our obedience. It's not, God doesn't love us more or love us less because we succeeded or failed. God looks at us and he sees the perfection of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus gave his life that we remember in these little elements, When Jesus gave his life, that is the sacrifice of how we can come boldly before the Father, how we can can worship and celebrate this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. I invite you guys to pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your son. God, we thank you that Jesus has, has made a way for us to know you, and God, that that you sent your son to come to live among us, to reveal, to, to show us what it looks like to be a man after your heart. To show us what it looks like to, to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So God, as we look to Jesus, as we have continued to journey through this story in the Gospel of Luke, of, of looking at this incredible God-man. God, we pause this morning to remember his sacrifice, to remember and, and, and worship and be thankful for the way that he gave his life that he didn't have to give so that, so that a sinner like me could have life, so that I could have hope for the future, so that I can stand before you today and know that I am forgiven, that we can stand in front of you today and know that we are forgiven. God, as we pause and remember that broken body and that spilled out blood of Jesus, God, we worship you. We celebrate and we, God, we are so incredibly thankful this morning. God, we, God, we're overwhelmed. We love you. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for Jesus. Amen.